Section 33 of the Hawaiian Archipelago by Isabella L. Bird. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A chapter on Hawaiian affairs. A few facts concerning the Hawaiian Islands may serve to supplement the deficiencies of the foregoing letters. The group is an hereditary and constitutional monarchy. There is a House of Nobles appointed by the Crown, which consists of 20 members. The House of Representatives consists of not less than 24, or more than 40, members elected biennially. The Legislature fixes the number and apportions the same. The Houses sit together and constitute the Legislative Assembly. The property qualification for a representative is real estate worth $500 or an annual income of $250 from property, and that for an elector is an annual income of $75. The legislators are paid, and the expense of a session is about $15,000. There are three cabinet ministers appointed by the Crown, of the Interior, Finance and Foreign Affairs, respectively, and an Attorney-General who may be regarded as a Minister of Justice. There is a Supreme Court with a Chief Justice and two Associate Justices, and there are circuit and district judges on all the larger islands, as well as sheriffs, prisons and police. There is a standing army of 60 men, mainly for the purposes of guard duty and rendering assistance to the police. The question of how to make ends meet sorely exercises the little kingdom. All sorts of improvements involving a largely increased outlay are continually urged, while at the same time the burden of taxation presses increasingly heavily and there is a constant clamour for the removal of some of the most lucrative imposts Indeed, the Hawaiian dog with his tax and his tag is seldom out of the Legislative Assembly. What may be termed the per capita taxes are an annual poll tax of one dollar levied on each male inhabitant between the ages of 17 and 60, an annual road tax of two dollars upon all persons between 17 and 50, and an annual school tax of $2 upon all persons between 21 and 60. There is a direct tax upon property of half a percent upon its valuation, and specific taxes of a dollar on every horse above two years old, and a dollar and a half on each dog. Of the $206,000 raised by internal taxes during the last biennial period, the horses paid $50,000, the mules 6000 and the dogs 19000 The indirect taxation in the shape of customs duties amounted to $350,000 in the same period. The poor Hawaiian does not know the blessing of a free breakfast table. The islands are large importers. The value of imported goods paying duties was $1,437,000 in 1873, on which the Hawaiian Treasury received $198,000 as customs duties. 
$25,000 worth of ale, porter and light wines, and $30,000 worth of spirits, show that the foreign population of 6,000 is more than sufficiently bibulous. The Chinamen, about 2,000 in number, are, or ought to be, responsible for $13,000 worth of opium, and the $34,000 worth of tobacco and cigars is doubtless distributed pretty equally over all the nationalities. 21,000 gallons of spirits were imported in 1873. The licences to sell spirits brought $18,000 into the Treasury in the last biennial period, but those for the sale of avar and opium brought in $55,000 during the same time. These licences are confined to Honolulu. There are two interesting items of customs receipts. A sum of $924, the proceeds of a per capita tax of $2, levied on passengers landing on the islands for the support of the Queen's Hospital, and a sum of $1,477, the proceeds of a tax levied on seamen for the support of the Marine Hospital. There is a sum of $700 for passports, as no Hawaiian or stranger can leave the kingdom without an official permit. There are 58 vessels registered under the Hawaiian flag, of which 40 are coasters and 18 engaged in foreign freighting and whaling. The value of domestic exports in 1873 was $1,725,507. Among these are bananas, pineapples, pulu, coconuts, oranges, limes, sandalwood, tamarinds, betel leaves, shark's fins, paiai, whale oil, sperm oil, coconut oil, and whalebone. Among other commodities that were exported, of coffee, 262,000 pounds, of fungus, 57,000 pounds, of peanuts, 58,000 pounds, of cotton, 8,000 pounds, of rice, 941,000 pounds, of paddy, 507,000 pounds, of hides, 20,000 packages, of goatskins, 66,000, of horns, 13,000, and of tallow, £609,000. The expense of keeping things going on the islands for the two years ending March the 1st, 1874, amounted to $1,193,276. But this included the funeral expenses of two kings, as well as of two extra sessions of the legislature, which amounted to $42,000. The decrease in the revenue for the same period amounted to $45,000. The items of Hawaiian expenditure were as follows. For civil list, $47,689.73. Permanent settlements, Queen Emma, 12000 Legislature and Privy Council, $15,288.56. Extra legislative expenses, $19,011.87. Department of the Judiciary, $72,245.64. Department of Foreign Affairs and War, $72,245.64.
$78,145.85. Department of the Interior, $389,009.08. Department of Finance, $202,117.05. Department of the Attorney General, $97,097. Bureau of Public Instruction, $89,432.40. Miscellaneous Expenditures, $170,474.67. The Balance on Hand in the Treasury, March 31, 1874.764.57. Total one million one hundred ninety three two hundred and seventy six dollars thirty six. That under the head finance includes the interest on borrowed money. The funded national debt is three hundred and forty thousand. Of this sum a portion bears no stated interest, only such as may arise from the very dubious profits of the Hawaiian Hotel. The interest charges are 12% on $25,000 and 9% on $272,000. The estimates for the present biennial period involve a large increase of debt. The present financial position of the kingdom is an increasing expenditure and a decreasing revenue. The statistics of the Judiciary Department for the last two years present a few features of interest. There were 4,000 convictions out of 5,764 cases brought before the courts, equal to a 14th part of the population. The total number of offences in the category is 125. Of these, some are decidedly local. Thus, for furnishing intoxicating liquors to Hawaiians, 92 persons were punished. For exhibition of hula, 10. For selling Eva without license, 12. For selling opium without license, 24. It is not surprising to those who know the habits of the people that the convictions for violations of the marriage tie, though greatly diminished, should reach the number of 384, while under the head deserting husbands and wives, 67 convictions are recorded. For practising medicine without a licence, 56 persons were punished. For furious riding, 197. For cruelty to animals, 37. For gaming, 121. For gross cheating, 32. For violating the Sabbath, 61. We must remember that the returns include foreigners and Chinamen or else the reputation for harmlessness which Hawaiians possess would suffer seriously when we read that within the last two years there were 178 convictions for assault, 248 for assault and battery, 12 for assaults with dangerous weapons, 49 for affray, 674 for drunkenness, 87 for disturbing quiet of the night, and 13 for murder. Yet the number of criminal cases has largely diminished, and taking civil and criminal together, 
there has been a decrease of 656 for the last biennial period, as compared with that immediately preceding it. The administration of justice is confessedly one of the most efficient departments of Hawaiian affairs. Chief Justice Allen, both as a lawyer and a gentleman, is worthy to fill the highest position in his native country, America, and the associate justices, as well as the native and foreign judges throughout the islands, are highly esteemed for honour and uprightness. I never heard an uttered suspicion of venality or unfairness against any one of them, and apparently the Judiciary Department of Hawaii deserves the same confidence which we repose in our own. The educational system has been carefully modelled and is carried out with tolerable efficiency. 87% of the whole school population are actually at school, and the inspector of schools states that a person who cannot read and write is rarely met with. Each common school is graded into two, three or four classes, according to the intelligence and proficiency of the pupils, and the curriculum of study is as follows. Class 1. Reading, Mental and Written Arithmetic, Geography, Penmanship and Composition. Class 2. Reading, Mental Arithmetic, Geography, Penmanship. Class 3. Reading, First Principles of Arithmetic, Penmanship. Class 4. Primer, Use of Slate and Pencil. The youngest children are not classified until they can put letters together in syllables. Vocal music is taught wherever competent teachers are found. The total sum expended on education, including the grants to family and other schools, is about 40000 a year. It has been remarked that the rising race of Hawaiians has an increased contempt for industry in the form of manual labour and it is proposed by the Board of Education that such labour shall be made a part of common school education, so that on both girls and boys a desire to provide for their own wants in an honest way shall be officially inculcated. There is a government reformatory school, and industrial and family schools for both girls and boys are scattered over the islands. The supply of literature in the vernacular is meagre, and few of the natives have any intelligent comprehension of English. The group has an area of about four million acres, of which about 200,000 may be regarded as arable, and 150,000 especially adapted for the culture of sugarcane. Sugar, the great staple production, gives employment in its cultivation and manufacture to nearly 4,000 hands. Only a fifteenth part of the estimated arable area is under cultivation. Over 6,000 natives are returned as the possessors of kuleanas, or freeholds, but many of these are heavily mortgaged. Many of the larger lands are held on lease from the crown or chiefs and there are difficulties attending the purchase of small properties. Almost all the roots and fruits of the torrid and temperate zones can be grown upon the islands, and the banana, carlo, yam, sweet potato, coconut, breadfruit, arrowroot, sugarcane, strawberry, raspberry, whortleberry, 
and native apple are said to be indigenous. The indigenous fauna is small, consisting only of hogs, dogs, rats, and an anomalous bat which flies by day. There are few insects except such as have been imported, and these which consist of centipedes, scorpions, cockroaches, mosquitoes, and fleas, are happily confined to certain localities, and the two first have left most of their venom behind them. A small lizard is abundant, but snakes, toads and frogs have not yet effected a landing. The ornithology of the islands is scanty. Domestic fowls are supposed to be indigenous. Wild geese are numerous among the mountains of Hawaii, and plovers, snipe and wild ducks are found on all the islands. A handsome owl called the owl hawk is common. There is a parrot with purple feathers, another with scarlet, a woodpecker with variegated plumage of red, green and yellow, and a small black bird with a single yellow feather under each wing. There are few singing birds, but one of the few has as sweet a note as that of the English thrush. There are very few varieties of moths and butterflies. The flora of the Hawaiian Islands is far scantier than that of the South Sea groups, and cannot compare with that of many other tropical as well as temperate regions. But all the islands are rich in cryptogamous plants, of which there is an almost infinite variety. Hawaii is still in process of construction, and is subject to volcanic eruptions, earthquakes and tidal waves. Hurricanes are unknown, and thunderstorms are rare and light. Under favourable circumstances of moisture, the soil is most prolific, and patch cultivation in glens and ravines, as well as on mountain sides, produces astonishing results. A carlo patch of 40 square feet will support a man for a year. An acre of favourably situated land will grow a thousand stems of bananas, which will produce annually ten tonnes of fruit. The sweet potato flourishes on the most unpromising lava, where soil can hardly be said to exist, and in good localities produces two hundred barrels to the acre. On dry, light soils the Irish potato grows anyhow and anywhere with no other trouble than that of planting the sets. Most vegetable dyes, drugs and spices can be raised. Forty diverse fruits present an overflowing cornucopia. The esculents of the temperate zones flourish. The coffee bush produces from three to five pounds of berries the third year after planting. The average yield of sugar is two and a half tonnes to the acre. Pineapples grow like weeds in some districts, and watermelons are almost a drug. The bamboo is known to grow 16 inches in a day. Wherever there is a sufficient rainfall, the earth teems with plenty. Yet the Hawaiian Islands can hardly be regarded as a field for emigration, though nature is lavish and the climate the most delicious and salubrious in the world. Farming as we understand it is unknown. The dearth of insectivorous birds seriously affects the cultivation of a soil naturally bounteous to excess. 
The narrow gorges in which terraced patch cultivation is so successful offer no temptations to a man with the world before him. The larger areas require labour, and labour is not to be had. Though wheat and other cereals mature, attacks of weevil prevent their storage, and all the grain and flour consumed are imported from California. Cacao, cinnamon and allspice are subject to an apparently ineradicable blight. The blight which has attacked the coffee shrub is so severe that the larger plantations have been dug up, and coffee is now raised by patch culture, mainly among the guava scrub which fringes the forests. Oranges suffer from blight also, and some of the finest groves have been cut down. Cotton suffers from the ravages of a caterpillar. The mulberry tree, which from its rapid growth would be invaluable to silk growers, is covered with a black and white blight. Sheep are at present successful, but in some localities the spread of a pestilent oat burr is depreciating the value of their wool. The forests, which are essential to the well-being of the islands, are disappearing in some quarters, owing to the attacks of a grub, as well as the ravages of cattle. Coconuts, bananas, yams, sweet potatoes, carlo and breadfruit, the staple food of the native population, are free from blight, and so are potatoes and rice. Beef cattle can be raised for almost nothing, and in some districts beef can be bought for the cent or two per pound, which pays for the cutting up of the carcass. Everyone can live abundantly and without the sweat of the brow, but few can make money owing to the various forms of blight, the scarcity of labour and the lack of a profitable market. There is little healthy activity in any department of business. The whaling fleet has deserted the islands. A general pelikia prevails. Settlements are disappearing. Valley lands are falling out of cultivation. Hylograss and guava scrub are burying the traces of a former population. The natives are rapidly diminishing. The old industries are abandoned. And the inherent immorality of the race the great outstanding cause of its decay, still resists the influence of Christian teaching and example. An exotic civilization is having a fair trial on the Hawaiian Islands. With the exception of the serious maladies introduced by foreigners in the early days, and the disastrous moral influence exercised by worthless whites, they have suffered none of the wrongs usually inflicted on the feebler by the stronger race. The rights of the natives were in the first instance carefully secured to them, and have since been protected by equal laws righteously administered. The Hawaiians have been aided towards independence in political matters, and the foreigners, who framed the laws and constitution, and have directed Hawaiian affairs, such as Richards, Lee, Judd, Allen and Wiley, were men above reproach. And missionary influence, of all others the most friendly to the natives, has predominated for 50 years. The effects of missionary labour have been scarcely touched upon in the foregoing letters, 
And here, in preference to giving any opinion of my own, I quote from Mr. R. H. Dana, an Episcopalian and a barrister of the highest standing in America, well known in this country by his writings, who sums up his investigations on the Sandwich Islands in the following dispassionate words. It is no small thing to say of the missionaries of the American board that in less than forty years they have taught this whole people to read and to write, to cipher and to sew. They have given them an alphabet, grammar and dictionary, preserved their language from extinction, given it a literature, and translated into it the Bible and works of devotion, science and entertainment, etc. They have established schools, reared up native teachers, and so pressed their work that now the proportion of inhabitants who can read and write is greater than in New England. And whereas they found these islanders a nation of half-naked savages, living in the surf and on the sand, eating raw fish, fighting among themselves, tyrannised over by feudal chiefs and abandoned to sensuality, they now see them decently clothed, recognising the law of marriage, knowing something of accounts, going to school and public worship more regularly than the people do at home, and the more elevated of them taking part in conducting the affairs of the constitutional monarchy under which they live, holding seats on the judicial bench and in the legislative chambers and filling posts in the local magistracies. If space permitted, the testimony of Mark Twain given in Roughing It might be added to the above, and the remaining missionaries may well point to the visible results of their labours with the one word, circumspice. End of section.